Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show, where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question, and unpack the rest. This week, we're asking what happens when a Black founder is ousted. It's inspired by a recent TechCrunch Plus piece. And to talk through it all, I am joined by Alex Wilhelm. We missed you so much last week when you were on vacation. Uh, I, I missed everyone too. I'm not going to lie. I did spend most of my time reading books and laying uh. down, which was delightful. And I recommend everyone do that because let me tell you, it works fine. But sitting around <laughs> doing nothing, great. Right. I mean, and also I saw you were on Twitter, but not that much. So congrats on that break as well. (laughs) (laughs) I was in an area of the world with lower cell phone reception. So that helped some. I did try to retweet equity and TC plus everyone here, but um, yeah, no, it's good to be off. But sadly, we're not here to talk about my vacation for 30 minutes. We have quite a lot to get through. Yes. And we are going to be bringing on another TechCrunch plus reporter, Dominic Midori Davis. Dom, welcome back to equity. It's your second time on the show. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a heavier episode, but one that I think is really important. And I'm just proud to record with both of you because we're going to be walking through what's been going on with Black Girls Code, which is a nonprofit that was started in 2012 by Kimberly Bryant, all about diversifying people who code. And we've seen a story play out for the past nine months now almost that will kind of showcase and answer our future question, which is what happens when a Black founder is ousted? So I want to start this conversation in December 21st of 2021, which is when we first started hearing about issues at Black Girls Code, because at the time, Kimberly Bryant, the CEO and co-founder, basically tweeted out that she got kicked out of the organization with no notification. We ended up eventually learning that she was indefinitely suspended because a number of employees had reached out to Black Girls Code's board, making allegations about a, quote, toxic workforce and her misgendering employees. I also spoke to five employees. And so that was kind of the first big news and first controversy around Black Girls Code, which is co-founder being indefinitely suspended and a lot of allegations around Bryant's leadership style. Kind of where we left off and what happened during those eight months was that there ended up being this independent investigation that the board carried out where they interviewed Bryant as well as employees who made the allegations, as well as I'm sure those who didn't. Which brings us to today, which is when Kimberly Bryant was officially removed from the board and Bryant had some notes on the investigation turning up nothing. Again, complicated and everything. Dom, can you walk us through a little bit about where we're at today? Yeah, I mean, so basically she was officially fired and a little bit before that announcement or after she filed a federal lawsuit. The day before. The day before she filed a federal lawsuit against, I believe it was the board or the organization. And now it's about a week later. And yesterday the organization said that the website has been hijacked and Yeah, I mean, that's really where we are today. When you go to the website and all the entities, I guess, and properties related to it, it leads back to something that says like, save Black girls code. And I mean, it's just interesting how this is all publicly coming down. But so to summarize, back towards the end of the year, she was put on, I think it was paid leave. And then things were investigated on in the interim. And then most recently, there's the dispute over the website and also some lawsuits going around. But the end result is that she is now formally outside the organization. And we're now trying to kind of sort out both where she sits in relation to the organization that she founded and also perhaps what's next for Black Girls Code. That feels like a perfect summary. I think there's been a couple controversies during this whole timeline. The first was really around seeing Kimberly Bryant get 
indefinitely suspended in a way that she described felt unfair, where she was just kind of woke up one day and, and says that she was blocked from the organization that she founded. At the same time, there were lots of former employees who turned to TechCrunch. And if you look at different sources online, a lot of people spoke up without their name, of course, out of fear of retaliation, speaking about her leadership style and how it didn't create a very positive place to work. That was like the first controversy. And now the second controversy and Dom, this is something you brought up when we were writing the story about her officially getting fired eight months later, was her claims that she was not paid severance, was not given healthcare assistance and other things when formally fired. A Black Girls Code spokesperson said that Bryant was paid her accrued vacation, but did decline to comment on severance and healthcare assistance allegations. So that's the number two controversy. Third is today, where we're seeing lawsuits pop up from Black Girls Code against Kimberly Bryant for, as they described, taking over the website. And if you go to blackgirlscode.com, you will be, like you said, Dom, directed right to that site, which is, yeah, like a very, I think, a rare window into seeing something happen so publicly when a board and founder tiffed. I mean, it happens all the time, but we don't see it being played out in such a way because it's it really hurts a brand's image in a way. Hurts everyone's image. And it's interesting because, I mean, a good point that I started, I guess, thinking about in terms of, you know, when a founder like this is so tied to their organization, like who owns IP like a website after you oust the founder? Like little things like that. And in terms of breaking down everything and all the controversies that have happened these past nine months, you know, it probably plays into the response that we're seeing on Twitter where a lot of Black founders have come out and kind of expressed their support saying like, you know, we can kind of, in a sense, relate to actions against boards that have been taken like this, but also just kind of the question of is what's happening, does it seem too harsh of a punishment or like would this have happened to, you know, a white founder? That's really, it's being pondered lately because a lot of it, do we know? Like, I don't know. It's it's interesting. A question about that because I've seen some of the same commentary, Dom, you know, talking about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, would he have been fired for a similar thing? And one thing we have seen in the startup world in the last five or 10 years in particular has been been essentially founder protection in the form of dual class shares, more votes, and kind of keeping founders in a kind of a fortress inside their company. And in this case with Black Girls Code, I'm not familiar with its equity structure, but do we know about ownership and voting control and so forth? Because I'm curious if because it is not a startup in the sense that, you know, Facebook was back in the day, sticking with that one example, she may have had less leverage internally to perhaps the phrase is run her own defense. Yeah. I mean, from what I know, like, I also don't know the breakdown, but maybe obvious. At one point, Black Girls Code was a nonprofit that didn't have a board. And that's when Kimberly Bryant was able to make decisions without any kind of checks and balances in place. Right. Which we don't really have. There's no take on that. That's just like a normal company or a normal nonprofit. Eventually, she did appoint this board. And because that board exists, they obviously existed enough to be able to fire her. And so I feel like that layer of checks and balances kind of answers your question where it's like, I guess it's like a structure that does play a role in something like that. Yeah, this just reminds me of what Dom wrote. I'm just going to go ahead and quote. It's that, you know, founders who spoke to TechCrunch agreed that the employees who alleged misconduct by Bryant were right to speak out. They also said that the board of Black Girls Code was too swift in her ousting and denied her proper due process. So this seems to be one of those situations in which it's, it's reasonable to critique her actions, but also very reasonable to critique perhaps the process behind it. And that to me kind of gets at the nub of what's going on here is has she been given the same sort of process and the same perhaps fairness in that process as other founders who are male or perhaps who are white would have received? And my read of this is that there seems to be a general consensus that the answer is no. But I wanted to throw that out to make sure that I'm reading your reporting correctly and also from everything else that you're hearing. 
Yeah, I mean, the general consensus, overwhelming consensus is that she was not given due process. And yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, it kind of compounds with people bringing up the way specifically white male founders have been able to get away with misconduct allegations seemingly and how overall it seems that the punishment or like the swiftness of its enforcement has just been disproportionately fast and harsh on Kimberly as a Black woman. But it brings up, I guess, like the piece that I wrote was supposed to be just like a bigger overlook on what happens when a Black founder is ousted. But employees did come out and say something, you know, about five, I mean, five employees, that's kind of a lot of employees. And so it's kind of just balancing like the rights that workers do have to come out to speak against structures of power. Yeah. But then also noting like, how do you properly maneuver that system in a way that is free of conscious and unconscious bias? Like, how do we know that the board, that like the way that they went about this, how do we know that it's free of of bias, that they wouldn't have treated another founder this swift in its actions? But it also brings up the fact of control. Like another thing that was being brought up by a lot of Black founders was operational agreements and why it seems so easy to oust a Black founder in terms of not owning enough shares to really retain control of the board. And that was brought up a lot in my piece where a couple of founders spoke about their instances. But then I'm also like, when you give a founder, any founder, too much control of any board, we kind of miss, once again, the rights of workers and the safety and feeling that they have, yeah. that they can really speak out against things. I'm curious if there's if there's an agreement or kind of a standard by which founder toxicity becomes sufficiently bad as to warrant someone's removal. I saw a founder, I forget who it was, complain on Twitter that women founders were often said to have created a toxic work environment. And this person was like, well, what does that even mean? You know, and the criticism of a lot of these situations is that men aren't cited for the same sort of thing. And my perspective on this has always been creating a toxic work environment is bad and men should be held to the same standard. We shouldn't dilute it simply because some people aren't being held to it. But I'm curious if you guys think that given what you've heard, what the founder of Black Girls Code did actually do in the operating environment was sufficiently toxic as to warrant her removable issues aside. Yeah, I mean, I can't answer that because this is becoming now very much like a he said, she said discussion where it's like some former employees say that they were wronged. Kimberly Bryant says the independent investigation that was eventually held by the board came up with nothing. Black Girls Code's board declines to comment on that. And so it is a little bit of like, it's too early to tell the specifics on what was warranted. And I'm very glad it's not our job to do that. But I will say like in terms of what people see in print versus what journalists hear is very different because, for example, when I was talking to Black Girls Code employees, many of them were like, you can't use this example, this example, or any of these examples, which are those very specific examples about things that they are alleging because it'll be very easily tied back to them, right. which I think journalists should do a better job of explaining like that. It's, it's a difficult balance to strike, but I think we, we're talking a little bit about what the public sentiment is about her removal. And it's like, yeah, the public sentiment is going to always be very different because only some people are empowered to speak out, even if all of them want an organization like Black Girls Code, which very non-controversial mission that people want to succeed, even if we're still seeing it play out. I guess I, it's something that I feel very strongly about where it's like only the people who 
can tweet about it, will be tweeting about it, the ones who were hurt or impacted or have something that is against the seeming public consensus will never. So that can end up creating this like false narrative a little bit. And Dom, when I was writing my newsletter, comparing this to what we're seeing with Adam Newman's return, you made a really good point where it's like Twitter is not the most productive place to have these conversations because it is really limited to like a short soundbite. And I mean, I guess that is my attempt at bringing up Adam Newman as part of this conversation because it, it is something that I don't want to put together perfectly. But we saw his return the same week that we reported on Kimberly Bryant's removal, which just kind of created this insane contrast. Yeah, I mean, and people, founders, black founders that I spoke to for my piece, I mean, they brought him up, you know, a few of them brought him up as an example. I think just in terms of the symbolism of how different black and white founders are treated, what I got from a lot of it is just the understanding that Adam Newman, this is like a second chance or a third chance, really, he's going to get a bunch of chances. But what's happening to Kimberly could very well be it. We don't know if she'll get another chance after this. And it's just kind of the frustration of that, that, you know, a lot of people were like, look at this guy. And so, I mean, it's something to somewhat compare, but yeah. Yeah, it's like somewhat compare, but also super different. And I think I'm a broken record at this point, but it's like multiple things can be true at the same time always. And that's kind of the part of our job where it helps to get a lot of context. Tom, I think that moving us to the second half of our chat, really around your recent TC Plus story, which is what happens when a Black founder is ousted. We're talking a little bit about symbolism right now. Can you kind of walk me through how the story even became an idea? And then we can get into like what you learned, but like, why was that something you felt you needed to write? Mostly because it's really interesting. It was just so much outpouring of support. And plus, Black Girls Code is like this massive organization in terms of what it's done for young Black girls, that it's kind of like a statement of the culture at this point. And so when you see a big figure like that, who's kind of just discarded like that, it's kind of like, well, what happens? You know, what happens to the little Black girls that looked up to her? What happens to the impact that this had on like other Black founders? Even though it's not like a startup, it's still... She was a really well-regarded, you know, leader and entrepreneur. So it's kind of like what happens now. And I just wanted to explore the overall general feeling of what happens when big name Black founders are kind of ousted and what happens next. And also just the feeling. It was like I regard it as like a story of loss, kind of, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of what it is. We clearly are losing something no matter what happened. And it's just exploring those feelings of like, what does that feel like? And where do we go from here? No one's the winner, really. Alex, I want to hear your thoughts a little bit on like how this conversation would fit into something we've talked about on equity a bit, which is like this founder and like, I guess the importance of a founder being the CEO of a company and the founder being involved with the company and that brand. Like, I feel like we've seen it change. And a couple examples this year with so many executive exodus stories. (laughs) This is obviously different because it's more of an ouster, but... I'm sure there's connecting dots there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, back in the day, you would have a couple of technical founders and they would have an idea and raise some money and buy servers and work on it. And then often their venture investors would demand that they bring in an adult, someone to run the business side of things, someone who could be essentially CEO. I mean, there's examples of this from Google on down. And then that changed, I think, essentially due to the example of Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. Here, the founder has stayed on, had essentially voting control of the company, still does, and made a business worth hundreds of billions, if not at one point in time, north of a thousand billion or as we say normally, a trillion dollars. Yeah. 
that has been a shift. And I think that it was exacerbated by low interest rates, cheap capital, and VCs fighting for deals that allowed founders to essentially arrogate more power and authority to themselves in the form of dual and even triple class shares and essentially become immovable rocks atop these mountains that they had built with the help of other people. So that's the context in which we're discussing the removal of Kimberly and the shakeup here, because this is against the tide, if you will. And to see a founder removed, be it from a tech-focused nonprofit or a tech startup, is in this era still relatively uncommon. And to see this happen to Black founders in succession, I think it's why we're sitting here. Because as Dom has reported, you know, I would say several times in the last couple of months, looking at venture capital data from 20 2020 through 2022, the number of black founders out there is relatively small in America. And it's not because there's not talented black Americans. It's because of systemic racism inside of the venture capital and startup worlds. And so when you do see these very public leaders, as she said, ousted, it really makes you wonder what is at play here. And the difficulty is because we're not even in these rooms, we'll never actually know entirely mm-hmm. exactly what happened. And we can't report everything, but that's where I kind of sit when I think about this overall structure and system. Yeah. I think as you were saying that, I was like, that is the, a lot of people get the X person is stepping down after 20 years of service and will be succeeded by someone. And here's their interim. And that's like one story of someone stepping down. And then we're seeing this story where Kimberly Bryant, she did choose to talk out loud about it. And a lot of ways I do appreciate being able to report on it much closer than we do with a lot of different stories. And I think the choice is not an easy one, right? It's like we're all describing when we don't need to tell her or or any founder who comes from a historically overlooked background that when they do get to a certain level, a lot is riding on their success. And so to be very transparent about feeling wronged and to be really loud about that, like I'm not going to say if that was like the right or wrong move, but I will say like that gave us a window into something we never see. And it's something that we're seeing more and more of, right? And Dom, I know you recently made a connection in an article you wrote about how Marceau Michel has been ousted by his board at Black Founders Matter. Can you tell us what happened in that case? Yeah, I mean, and first, I just want to say, you know, I think it's really important for people like Kimberly and Marceau, especially because, you know, a lot of times the board and the organization, we never really find out what happened. And so being able to kind of write or add this part of the narrative to the overall story and history that is like being written, I think is important because, you know, we spoke about like the young black girls who are going to see that Kimberly's gone and they're going to say, well, what happened? And now they can Google and see, you know, her side of things. Yeah. And that's important to the history to get, you know, her side. And Marceau reached out to me because I had, he was initially the first story I did when I came to TechCrunch about the 25 by 25 pledge, which basically was asking funds and investors to invest at least 25% of their capital into BIPOC women and also hire or staff up their funds with at least at least 25% BIPOC women as well. And I thought that that was a really interesting thing because it reminded me of the 15% pledge in retail. And so, you know, I covered the story. And then, you know, a few months later, not even a few months, maybe like two months later. It was very quick. Yeah, it was very fast. Um, he reaches back out to me and basically says that his fund, Black Founders Matter, has ousted him, meaning that technically, I mean, he was the Black founder. And so it would technically be like there were no, like the Black founders gone. And so I kind of went on that path of figuring out what happened. And it involved, of course, talking to the fund and talking to Marceau a lot 
and kind of just parsing through. And it was interesting seeing, I don't know, like patterns. He spoke about not really understanding venture capital jargon. So when it came to sign the contract that implemented his board that eventually ousted him, he basically said that he didn't really know what he was signing or signing away, which was interesting because that was also a narrative that I saw with a lot of Black founders on Twitter saying like, I know these contracts, you have to be really wary of what's in it in order to Mm -hmm. regain control and sustain control over your board so that you aren't just ousted. And kind of similar thing happened with Marceau where they kind of just, there's a lot of interesting tidbits to it um, in terms of (laughs) uh, when he found out that he was getting resigned and when we did the article. But basically, you know, he also cut access to the website and the emails to the board and his fund had to basically rebrand into a brand new fund and create a brand new website and have new emails and everything, which is interesting because it goes back, I guess, to the ownership of the IP, something to just think about, like, if Kimberly never gives back the Black Girls Code website, what happens? Do they have to rebrand or recreate themselves? Like, where do they go from there? Yeah, I actually want to give a small like update on that, too, around IP, because right before we recorded, Kimberly Bryant sent me another statement addressing this accusation from the board that she hijacked, quote, the website. She's saying that she's always controlled the URLs since the brand since early 2021, but she's never had access to or altered the Black Girls Code website. So it was less hacking and more taking her URL back is her argument. I think seeing that example play out and then having some historical context, to me, those are both two of the first times I've ever seen it, where the website ends up becoming like kind of a pawn in the middle of it. And so it just becomes back and forth. Well, it was interesting because when I asked Marceau, like, you know, what are you doing now that you basically have Black founders matter. Like you basically have that website and his intention is to use it to launch like another organization. So it's kind of reclaiming ownership over, you know, the name and kind of what's left and to basically give yourself that second chance if you want it or if you know, if you're allowed to have it to do something else. So it's interesting. It is. This is all kind of reminding me a little bit about something that Kimberly's executive coach told me in an interview last year. Her name's Carla Monteroso. And she talked to me a little bit about the fact that Bryant hired her in September 2021 after complaints against her first surfaced. So Bryant started going to Carla on kind of like a semi-regular basis. And Carla tells me, quote, I think there are a lot of imperfect leaders trying to do their best. And I believe that the story is about systemic complexity that is popping up for leaders of color and not about any one organization or individual. It's about the poor conditions that exist for our leaders and our teams to succeed with their dignity intact. And that to me has been like a guiding force when trying to explain why this has been so complex to report out and why we're seeing a loud public side, but like a pretty loud, quiet, off the record side as well. Because it's a lot of like hurt too, right? Like no one wins when an organization is thrust into a spotlight in such a negative way. Yeah, And I think the same thing goes for Black Founders Matter. Yeah, I think like when I was doing my Black Founders ousted piece, that was one of the main takeaways that I put in there in terms of just really a call for empathy. You know, it's not like denying that a whole bunch of stuff could have gone wrong. You know, we don't know the facts in any situation, but it's kind of just being afforded the empathy to kind of get this right and given the chances to really, I don't know, (laughs) make it work. And that's, yeah. So I I mean, I would, I would agree with the statement. Issues like this are always 
going to be multifactorial and difficult to parse out. Tom, what could we do better as reporters to ensure that when we are covering founder-related issues, especially with underrepresented founders, that we're getting enough of the story to understand if we're dealing with an example of bias versus an example of simply an internal issue at a company or organization that has leadership problems? I mean, something that... I like to do is to always add historical context behind it. And I think I kind of brought this up in my last piece. You know, when someone says, oh, you know, my boss made me feel this way, you kind of have to look and say like, well, you know, Black women and women in leadership positions are often regarded a certain type of way. Yeah. Why do, why does this person feel this way about their Black boss? And kind of just, it's adding context to situations and adding a lot of it because we don't really know anything, but we do know what history, science, and data has reported, proven, and said. And but also just not taking a side is good. Mm-hmm. Like report the facts as they're as it is. But most importantly, context I think is the biggest thing. Yeah, I also think this engenders a broader conversation about just what good management is. What is a toxic work environment? What is harassment? What is verbal abuse? And then where those standards should be applied. Because the argument, as I said earlier, that I often hear is men aren't called out for this stuff, so it's not fair to call out women for it. And that bothers me because it implies that there's a great host of workplaces out there that are incredibly toxic, run by men that should be called out for it. And I think that it's also used occasionally in some circumstances as a shield to prevent some people from being criticized. And that's not good either because then we're defending toxicity. So uh, this is where I think that we could do more both as a a people and also as reporters in our particular role in our society. But I, I think that's too ambiguous an area. And so when I hear toxic workplace, it could mean anything from X to Y. I mean, it could be a a whole host of things. And I think it's almost too broad a phrase to be used as we currently do. Yeah. Toxic is such a watered down word. I remember that's something that Panzer was talking to me about when I was writing about Roe last year, because he was like, employees might be using that word with you, but unless you can give the most specific example, I would be pretty careful with doing that. And I think sometimes you still do use it if that's something you hear enough times as a reporter. But it's a good reminder. And I guess the place I kind of want to end is like this reality check that like, not a shocker, but like white founders can mess up, black founders can mess up, brown founders can mess up. And we will always hear different levels of accountability for each of those groups due to some of the systemic barriers and racism that we see happen. And while that might be obvious to us three, it does not feel obvious in a lot of like the dialogue that um, I'm seeing playing out right now. And so that feels really important to say loudly. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I throw two more things just on the end here? One, Toxic is also a great song by Britney Spears that you should check out. <laughs> and the other thing is, how dare Adam Newman? Oh my God, Alex, just, you did not get your Adam Newman take, actually. chutzpah of doing that. <laughs> I, I, that's not the word I wanted to use. I had a whole string of profanities, but I've been informed that swearing at TechCrunch is sometimes looked down upon. <laughs> I, I'm in awe of, of Newman and what he's up to now. But um, mm-hmm. that's probably a topic for a different day. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, even that, a lot of it's coming out like with the flow carbon stuff and how that's like indefinitely paused. And then you have Forbes just released an article today trying to see like, did he even steal that idea from a woman company that he invested in previously? And it's kind of just like the layers of mess are unfolding. The layers of mess. Also, you know what's Don, you know what's really toxic is when you uh, raise a bunch of money for your housing company, you know, your co-working company, and then you buy a private jet with it and fly around to give yourself surf lessons. Ah, ah, that's oh, great. Man. That's not toxic at all. You should give that guy more money. What a f***ing genius. <laughs> it's a lot of deja vu in like kind of the most hard ways. I mean, last week was a trip and, and this week I feel like we're seeing 
more things play out, which is, it's a weird time in tech. But thank you both for sitting here and sitting and talking through something so nuanced and complicated. I feel like we struck a good balance. I'm proud of this episode. So Dom, thanks for coming back on Equity. Tell people where they can find you online. Plug everything. Twitter and Instagram. (laughs) Um, And what is your, your handle? It's the same on both. It's just Dominic Midori, first and middle name. Uh, yeah. Perfect. Her Twitter account is very good. I don't Instagram, so I can't comment there, but I can endorse the tweets. Yes, the tweets are so good. I will follow you on Instagram now, though. <laughs> and yeah, so follow me back. I follow you, Natasha. <laughs> oh my God. Maybe I do follow you back. I don't use Instagram. <laughs> is it at Natasha the Reporter? Because that was my attempt at a professional account that I just don't yes, use. I do. I follow Natasha the you, Reporter. <laughs> you made. Natasha, you made a professional Finsta? I was like, Natasha the Reporter is too good of a handle in case one day I want to use it for something. I don't know. <laughs> it's called Winstas now. People have Winstas. They're work Instagrams. And That's I'm, what I'm saying. Winsta. All right. Well, I, I can't make fun of Natasha's Winsta handle because my Substack is Alex Wright's dot. So like... <laughs> Because I ran out of creativity when I was coming up with the URL. I'll link all of these things in the show notes in that case. And Alex, it's so good to have you back again. Thank you so much. And everyone else, we will chat with you on Friday with the whole equity team. I'm so excited. All right, bye. Bye.